IB teacher, IB talk. teacher IB talk. IB teacher talk. My sister and I had all these dolls, and and we also dressed up my brother. So, and he was our best student, I guess. <laughs> So, Rachel, what's going to be our plan today for this episode with Laura Esteban, who teaches English B? We are going to discuss being a second language teacher and second language learner. Ooh. <laughs> We're going to discuss uh, building belonging in our classrooms, and in in specifically a multicultural classroom. And we're finally going to explore our post-COVID classroom and students and how they may have changed. Oh, it sounds fascinating. I can't wait. Let's go and see what happens. <laughs> Let's go. And we're back. It's Ivy Teacher Talk, and I am Rachel Smith. I am co-hosting with... My name is Daniel Lambert, and Rachel, I am fantastic. What about you? I'm... <laughs> I'm great! <laughs> Great's definitely not as good as fantastic, but we've got somebody who's better than great and better than fantastic with us today. Hold on, we have who? Laura Esteban. Laura, tell me how poorly I pronounced your name. It's not bad, not bad for a foreigner. <laughs> oh, that means that I did a really bad job. Okay, Rachel, it's your turn. Pronounce no, I'm passed. <laughs> I always mess Most up. times Americans will be the worst ones pronouncing this. Sorry to say. It's it's about the U, the A and yep. the U together. Do it but, one more time. But do you guys have words like louder? When you say louder, that's what my name sounds like. Laura. Oh. Wow, so louder's got to be louder? Yep. Laura. Yeah, louder. Oh, okay. There you yeah, go. I always mess it up. I feel like we've learned something already, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, can you tell us how you got into teaching? So I guess for me, it was the easy way out of trying to find a career. It was uh, my mom kept telling me, you're so bossy, you're so bossy. And I was a typical one who will line up all the dolls and teach to the dolls. And I was the eldest in my family, not only in my immediate family, but my whole big family of cousins and I guess I was bossy from start so it was easy for me also I had a big um, I had a very big um, advantage and that is that I was taught in English from a very very early age so it was always very easy for me and I knew that could turn into a career I have two questions so what is your first language what's your mother tongue Catalan Catalan is your mother tongue, and would you say um, Spanish? Castilian also. Spanish yep. is your second language. They're, I'm bilingual. Everybody bilingual. living in in Catalonia will be bilingual. Okay, and can you tell me about the dolls that you lined up? <laughs> well, you know all the dolls you have as a girl, in at home. My sister and I had all these dolls, and and we also dressed up my brother. So, and he was our best oh student, I guess. <laughs> So what you're saying is teaching is synonymous with being bossy, is what I heard. Yes. Laura, did I say it right? Yep. Okay. <laughs> um, I know that you have been several places. Can you just kind of give us a quick um, overview right. of your international experience? So because I was a student at an international school and I knew what those teachers did and I thought it was really cool. I decided to do that. So from a very early age, I I prepared myself for it. I knew what I was getting into. 
Um, as soon as I was done with my degree in Spain, I went to the States and studied a master's degree. When you get a degree in the States as a foreigner, you get a one-year practical training, which is a work permit for a year. Mm -hmm. So I worked at a school there, public school, um, in a big city. And that was fun. Um, I think I learned everything I needed to learn to survive anything after that. Mm -hmm. um, then my international experience started, and I was in Venezuela, in Caracas. Then I moved to Brazil. And that's where I started my family. Moved on to Japan. Went back to Spain for a while so that the children had some kind of Spanish um, belonging. And then moved on to China for a long time. And Singapore now, moving on to Switzerland next year. Which was the best place and so, why? Everybody asks that. And I always say, there's a best place for every time, mm -hmm. every moment in your life. So I would not want to be a single young woman in China, and I would not want to be with children, with young children in Brazil. So you are an English B teacher, mostly. I know that you, yes. you do other things as well. What are the challenges, do you think, with English B in creating a welcoming classroom environment? Hmm. So I think the challenges are the same as are probably also the advantages of, mm -hmm. of the mix of students you have. Um, usually I get a, a very a mix of international students and that's, that's the power of the class, right? The sharing and the learning from each other. Sometimes though, it is one-sided. There's a bigger population from a specific um, language or country and that is challenging because you do want students to feel welcomed and engaged and um, you know I'd ask them specifically things about their culture but if it's very heavy on one it becomes a challenge for others mm -hmm. that are not represented. Can I just ask you as somebody who learned English as a second language, is that correct? Do you think that that gives you a, a particular advantage in terms of teaching uh, second language learners? And if so, what kind of an advantage does it give you? I think so. Um, I, 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 sometimes people wonder, right? I mean, should I be teaching English if I'm not an English mm -hmm. native speaker? But I, I do think that having learned it in such a meta-awareness, <laughs> whatever you call that, uh, way I can relate to the students. I know, especially Latin language um, students, I know how their brain is structured and I know exactly what words they're gonna have trouble with. Mm -hmm. So it's easy for me to focus, whereas if you're a native speaker, you don't realize wh why those words are hard or why that structure of the sentence is so complicated. <laughs> Laura, can you please tell us about a time when something went completely wrong in your classroom and perhaps how you dealt with it or didn't deal with it? These are always our favorite part. Yeah, well, um, there's always the those words that mean different things <laughs> in, or pronunciation makes a big difference. So yep. <laughs> those are really funny sometimes with the AL students. They'll go, you know... I'm not going to start with what examples there, but um, something that went really bad is some cultural 
um, associations or, or some cultural background things that I might not know about. Mm-hmm. Um, we I remember once, you know, we had done a summative and I, it was a reading test, A, B, C, D. So I said, okay, just exchange your papers and we'll just grade it together. I'll just give you the answers and you mark them. And that was something you do not do in whatever culture most of the class was. You just don't do that. You don't look at other people's oh. papers and grades. And know what their grade is. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was a very different thing. The biggest difference that way, I would say, with my Spanish background and getting to know the Anglo-Saxon in general way of doing things was um, honesty, mm-hmm. in academic honesty. You know, whereas I come from a culture where if you can get away with it, you're smart. You deserve to. <laughs> yes, I'm serious. So one of the things we're focused on this uh, season, this series, this season. Depends where you're from. <laughs> um, is this idea of building a culture in your classroom, one of learning, one of respect. What do you do to build mm. the culture in your classroom? Yeah, like um, following up on what I said about um, the nationalities and the culture, I really make sure every single culture is represented. So if I say, you know, whatever word comes up, say, what is this in your language? Mm. Can you look it up? Can you pronounce it? Can you say it? Can you explain if it's any different from what it says in English? And I do have one class with one Saudi kid and then another class with one person from Laos or two people from Korea, and I make sure I also ask them. Because otherwise it's really hard. Most of my students are Chinese. I'll just say it in Chinese, blah, 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 whatever. Okay, we're done. And those other kids are not made aware of that, that there is differences in... So a lot of the time in our discussions, me and Rachel and other teachers, we talk about how to give the students that kind of voice mm. or that feeling of agency in the classroom. Yes. And so it feels like that's exactly what exactly. you're doing. What, what do you do in terms of making your, your students feel like they belong in that classroom? I, by the time they're in 12th grade, and I really like when I can follow them up a little bit, it's become such a nice, like treating them like adults, really, that it's just so natural. And there's none of the pushing back and forth or agreeing to norms. By then, if they've been with me for a couple of years, they know me so well and I know them so well that it's really a partnership. Mm-hmm. And it's time. That's all you need, really, is time and knowing and knowing them. Do you have like an initial uh, routine of when you first get new students to get them to open up to you or to be open or willing to speak in the class? Um, yes, and the way I think I, I get, and it's, you know, we every teacher has that, and that's how they start their classes with every single group. If you have them for three years, you can't use it every year, but the first time I meet them, I have an exercise where they um, write about their name, mm. and it's very important for them um, just to, to have a voice and that I know what it means to them. Through their name, they tell me about their culture, their family, and their personality. Mm. And we do it, it's San, Santo Cisneros piece, it's beautiful. And um, they do come with a very, very strong feeling of I have been heard. And this teacher n- knows a lot about me now, as much as I've wanted her to know so far. <laughs>
Do you have any experiences that you would confess to when you felt like you you know that you unwillingly made a student feel like they weren't heard in your classroom? Mm. Yeah, it, that's obviously that's hurt. That hurts. Um, and I think when I started teaching, I would not tolerate that. Mm. I was not okay with that. That I was a teacher. What are you talking about? And I think with time, you you get to see your mistakes and then acknowledge them and say you're sorry and move on and that's what all they need it's but it takes a while it yeah. does it's the confidence right and it's okay it's fine it just takes a while yeah I would agree with that as somebody who is well I consider myself quite prideful <laughs> especially with my job what kind of look was that <laughs> you can't see it. it's a podcast <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's it's you don't want to apologize sometimes because it'll make you seem weaker. But this is something we've talked about many times in these interviews is when you do that also, though, you are teaching the kids something about being Bound wrong, wrong. <laughs> about being a human and, you know, modeling for them, too, when that happens, because inevitably everybody's going to do something like that. Right. Well, that happens to me. Let's just say something. This is really funny, but I, I do it purposely, too. In Spanish, we don't have many um, double consonant consonants in words, mm. and that is something that I really struggle with. I can never remember double L's, double R's, it's double C's. It's really hard. So I make, I, I, I'm, I'm aware of that, and I tell them from day one. And I make mistakes when I write on the board, and I say, all my mistakes are going to be double letters. You'll just see, I can limit myself to this. But when you see one, call it out. Mm. And I just break all their expectations of, you know, the teacher who's, they really like to that I'm a second language learner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They really look up to that and say, well, you know, and I started late. I was 12 mm. when I started learning English. And um, they really like that, but I'm vulnerable that way. I will make especially when I write on the board for some reason. Not when I'm, you know, handwriting or typing is much better, but if I'm on the board, things just come out wrong. comment on your experience with COVID teaching during COVID and maybe your experience after? Yes. So um, it was an interesting situation. I was teaching in China and ended up being stuck in Spain. Oh, no. Teaching for nine months. Um, it was painful. It was, had to be asynchronous because everybody was all over the world. And it didn't feel like teaching. It just felt as assigning work and do your own thing and then I can help you. Especially with the AL, it was, it was bad. It was very painful. Um, so I prefer to forget that time. <laughs> I do, I have noticed though that students came back differently mm -hmm. and even the school where I was, was different. Then I came to another school, and I didn't know if things here or wherever I was was like that because of COVID or because that's the way the school was. <laughs> so it's very confusing, very confusing. I think some of the things have been that we've inherited from COVID are useful, 
there's a lot more tools we can use online. They're engaging. There's, you know, parent conferences done in an asynchronous yes. way, whatever that is, digital way, which is great. But the rest is not. So what would you say maybe is your biggest shift in your teaching? Has it changed you? Um, no, I really <laughs> think it changed the students. Oh. They were the ones that were malleable and uh, vulnerable, and that they, they, they think that's normal. That's their new normalcy. Do you think that there's an improved appreciation of the face-to-face -face teaching that we do after such a long time of uh, teaching over a screen? I, I definitely appreciate it. <laughs> I don't know that they do. I think some, from some experiences that I've had, there have been students that really bloomed as online learners. Mm -hmm. And that's great for them to know that. But the majority still needs the social interaction, I would say. And I do, definitely. Post-COVID, we're obviously very aware of the need to be there and to look after our kids and to care for them in the difficult because of the difficulty that they've been through. One of the conundrums that's coming up nowadays is how can we be caring about our students, but at the same time try to build the resilience that they'll really need mm -hmm. to be stronger in, in their futures? And how there, do you feel about that? And there is a lot of talk about this, how we care so much that they can't care for themselves. Um, I know it's going to be an interesting, you know, product. My, my children are that at this age. I'll know in 10 years time <laughs> how they came out to be, but definitely different for sure. Laura, can you please tell us what kind of student you want to send forth into the world? Okay, so... As an EAL teacher, of course, I want a student that feels that not only can they be academically successful in English, but in any language they really try to learn in any culture, in any country. But more importantly, someone who's confident and has had a, a great experience mm -hmm. as in the school. I really don't think there's better schools or better teachers. It's all about what the student does with the experience they're given. And we can only contribute to make that good. But it really is up to them. So I really hope that most of the students we have just can look back and say, I was so happy. I'm so you know, satisfied with my education, my time as a student in that school. I had such a great time that I'm happy to move on in life. That's all. I love that. I like the idea of just like students leaving from a position of joy and happiness. And academics are great. We love academics, but that's often not what we remember. The experience of schooling is really about the friends you make and the activities you do and not what you've learned. <laughs> it really Shh, is. Don't tell the kids. <laughs> it's true, though. It's true. I have two, true. two kids at this age, and they come to school because it's a social place. Which kind of brings us full circle to the idea of post-COVID yes. and how the school yes. is, is so much more of a social teaching um, area rather than the academic teaching. Or maybe sure. they both happen at the same time. Well, I think one influences the other. If you're you know, happy in one, you're going to want to face challenges when it becomes academic. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you so much, Laura. I appreciate having you here um, as an EAL teacher, as a second language learner, and your breadth and depth of experience across the globe. Thank you. I This is the best that I always take away with me from every school that I've been to. It's my colleagues. Oh, no. <laughs> She's obviously talking about me, Rich. <laughs> oh, yeah. Both okay. of you, Bye, actually. <laughs> Thank you so much Thank again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Rachel, that was as amazing as it always is, but what did we learn today? I learned that teachers are bossy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, l- I love the part about when she said she put, she put her dolls in a row and started to talk to them and tell them what to do. I could see you doing that totally. I don't know if I did that. I really? think uh, uh-huh. I think I just did real people. <laughs> <laughs> Family members. <laughs> Family members. Um, and I really enjoyed her perspective of that second language classroom and how she can build culture, but also, you know, because she was a second language learner, how she sees that classroom environment. I really like that uh, that appreciation of coming from, I've been here, I've done this, I know what you're going through. And I think that that builds that connection between students and teachers, which is like gold. Gold. Um, I also really enjoyed uh, discussing with her, you know, making students feel like they are part of the classroom and not ostracized or excluded. Yeah, and she had that really exciting example of having different language speakers in a classroom from a smaller set of of group of language speakers. And so it's very easy for us to do that in lots of different contexts, but it's nice to hear it in terms of language groups. Honestly, we have really amazing diverse classrooms where we're at, but not all classrooms are like that. And a lot of teachers who probably listen have, you know, a, a dominant culture in their classroom yeah and that there'll be different levels of a diversity won't there there'll be like cultural diversity there'll be gendered or there'll be like Mm. neurodiversity Mm -hmm. anyway that was a lot of fun and i'm really glad that we started doing this again rachel how about you you know i'm okay with it (laughs) you're much more than okay yeah i'm having fun this is a good time i like this stuff okay let's see you next week bye 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 ib teacher talk